How are we doing, church? Doing good? Awesome. You look great. You look great. Hey, uh, uh, grab your Bibles if you got them. If you don't, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, um, you can grab that one and take it home, or you could be in 2014 and just download one for free also on your phone, whatever you want. Uh, grab those. You're going to be in Genesis chapter 45, but this is the seventh and final week of this series that we've been in called Sovereign Legacy, and um, I really got to give it to our creative team. They came up with the name of it. I didn't, um, and, I, and I love the name because... Um, it's been what we've been talking about. It's that God is sovereign and what you do matters. And, and it can kind of feel like a bit of an oxymoron, right? Like if God is, is almighty and is sovereign, doesn't, does it really matter what I do? Yes and amen. And if, if God does give the, me the ability to choose and make decisions, then is he really in charge? Yes, he is. That God is sovereign. Nothing's over his head. Nothing's out of his control. That it might look like things are out of control, but he's still in control. He's never been surprised. Some of you, you're, you're surprised that you're here this morning. He's not. He knew you were going to be here with your headache, gave you the God's common grace of Advil, and here you are, right? You're here this morning. He knew. He is in charge. And, and what you do matters. Your life matters. And the, the kids that we just saw in that video and the kids that we just dedicated, the families that we just dedicated, the way we live our lives is going to affect and impact not just us, but it's going to impact the generations to come. And so God is sovereign and your life matters. And, I, and I, there was a beautiful picture of that yesterday in our city at Everbank Field in the McKenzie Run. How many of you went to the McKenzie Run? Yay. Looked like most of you. There's a lot of us there. It was pretty cool. And it was, you know, it's how we celebrated 1122 Day this year. It was great. And do you want to see a picture of God's sovereign legacy? God is sovereign. The God is in control. Even when things look like they are out of control. And there were times where I thought things seemed to me to be out of control. But yet God was never surprised. He was in charge. And your life matters. Who would have thought the life and legacy of one 15-year-old girl would impact not just our city and our church and our community and our faith family, but all the way to Africa, to Uganda, to, to ACOA and, and orphanages there. And so it was a beautiful picture of sovereign legacy. And so what we're going to talk about uh, today, just in time for Thanksgiving, as we continue studying Joseph, who we talked a lot about last week, <clears throat> we're going to talk about uh, how to forgive family members, all right? And so, uh, you should be ready for Thanksgiving Day. That's what I'm trying to do here. And I just praise God that he lined it up so it works out. I didn't. I wish I was smart enough to line it up this way, just the way it worked out. And let me warn you, okay, we're going to talk about how to forgive family members. Because there's no pain like family pain, is there? I mean, it's one thing if somebody sins against you, like at the mall, you think, well, that guy's an idiot, and if he knew how awesome I was, he'd be good to me. But when your family hurts you... When somebody that's supposed to take care of you hurts you, when the people that share your DNA and your blood and they share your last name and they hurt you, there is no pain like family pain. Now, let me give you this big warning. You're going to be tempted to sit here this morning and think, man, this is good. I wish my mother-in-law was here. Okay, I am not talking about her, all right? I am not talking about the person sitting on your left and right. So, uh, and I cannot convict, only the Holy Spirit can. So if there's a little conviction there, just know that's, that's what the Lord is doing. And so um, this message is only for people that have been hurt, okay? If you've never been hurt before, well, just God bless your ministry, all right? And, and, and we love your denial, and I'm sure you, you're doing just fine, all right? Come back next week. We're talking about Christmas. It'll be awesome. But for everybody in this room that's ever been let down or hurt, injured, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Because you ever notice this? That intention, um, it does not affect your pain at all. If I run over you in my car on purpose or I accidentally back over your head, it hurts the same. And some of you have been intentionally injured and some of you unintentionally injured, but the truth is, is that most of us in the room have been hurt and a lot of us in this place have been hurt by family. And so um, if you 
showed up this morning looking for like a happy, happy, joy, joy kind of message, then you get ready for a gut punch because this is it's what it's going to be. And so what we got to do is we're going to pick up with Joseph where we left off last week. But just in case you weren't here, maybe you forgot, um, <clears throat> let me tell you who Joseph is. Uh, so Joseph's got a dad named, named Jacob. He's one of 12 brothers, all right? And so he's the, um, he's the favorite of his dad, Jacob. And the reason that he's the favorite is because he's the son of his dad's favorite wife. So if you think you got family issues, just think about how that going down at Thanksgiving, right? Baby, you're my favorite wife. Like, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. It doesn't sound like it. But so he's the favorite. And then the dad doesn't even hide that he is the favorite. So he makes him this coat of many colors to prove to everybody that this is my favorite son. And then Joseph's kind of arrogant and unwise. And so he wears it everywhere he goes so that everybody knows, hey, you remember if I'm the favorite, check it out, I am, all right? And then Joseph is a dreamer. God gives Joseph this vision for his life. And so Joseph doesn't have enough discernment to just keep that to himself. So he gets up in the morning and says, hey, brothers, before you uh, eat your oatmeal this morning, let me tell you about my dream I had. I had a dream that we were all out, we're farmers and my sheaf grew up really tall and your sheaves, whatever that is, bowed down to my sheaf. So that means one day you're, you're going to bow down to me. And they're like, shut up, dude, we hate you. Go to bed. And so he goes to bed and he gets up the next morning. He's like, hey, guess what? I had another dream. It's even bigger. I'm like a planet and all your little dinky planets are bowing down to me, the big planet. Dad, you were included you were bowing down too. So they all hated Joseph. And then uh, all the brothers are, are shepherds and they're out in the, tending to their flocks and Dothan. And the dad says, hey, why don't you go check on him? And so he goes out to check on him. And then they see him coming, Joseph, the one they hate with his coat of many colors on. And they see him coming and they go, hey, why don't we kill him? Let's do that. Let's kill him. Everybody agree? Ready, break. And then they go and they beat him down. And then in a moment of, of just tenderness and mercy, Reuben decides, hey, let's don't kill him. Let's just throw him in the body of, bottom of an empty well, and then he eats a corned beef sandwich. And then while he's in the bottom of the well, and they're eating the corned beef sandwich, they say, hey, look, here's some Ishmaelites coming along. Why don't we, it doesn't do us any good if we just kill him. Why don't we make some bank off of him, and we'll sell him into, into human slavery, human trafficking. And so he sells him to the Ishmaelites. And sure enough, the Ishmaelites take him all the way to Egypt, and then the brothers go home and say, hey, we lost your favorite. So you pick a new favorite, right? Because he's dead. And so then Joseph goes all the way to Egypt. This guy named Potiphar, who is like the chief of police in Egypt, he buys Joseph. And then everything starts to turn out okay with Joseph. And the Bible keeps saying, and God was with Joseph and blesses Potiphar's house because of Joseph's hard work. And then one day, Joseph bumps into Potiphar's wife. We don't get her name, just Potiphar's wife. And then she's got like a lust problem. And she's like, I like Hebrew boys and I cannot lie. And so she tells that to Joseph. And then she tells Joseph, hey, come lie down with me. And Joseph's like, I ain't even that tired. And she's like, that's not what I'm talking about. And so then he runs away and she grabs his coat and says, get back here. And then he flees and he leaves the coat. And then she's got to make up a story. She says, he tried to rape me. See, here's his coat. And so then Potiphar comes home and puts him in jail. And then while he's in jail, he bumps into these two guys, a, a cupbearer and a baker. And they have dreams. And when they get up to eat Frosted Flakes one morning, he goes, hey, we had a dream. And they go, hey, good news. God allowed me to be able to interpret your dreams. And so the cupbearer goes first. And the cupbearer's like, here's my dream. He goes, good news. In three days, you get your job back. The baker goes, sweet, I had a similar dream. Bad news. In three days, they're going to cut off your head. And the bird's going to eat out your eyeballs. Sorry. Good night. All right. Cupbearer, remember me when you go before Pharaoh. So then the cupbearer goes before Pharaoh. Sure enough, his dream comes true. And then one morning, two years later, Pharaoh gets up. And before everybody eats Frosted Flakes, he says, hey, boys, gather around. I had a crazy dream. There were some fat cows and some skinny cows. Skinny cows ate the fat cows, but they didn't get fat. What does that mean? Nobody knows. They gather everybody around, all the magicians, soothsayer. Nobody knows. And then the cupbearer's like, you know what I just remembered? Because I didn't want to talk about that time you put me in jail. There was a guy back in jail named Joe, my cellmate. He's good with dreams. Let's get him. And so they get Joe. Wash him up, get the, get the kind of prison smell off of him, give him a haircut, bring him in. And then Joe says, piece of cake, God's going to tell me what your dream means. 
We're going to have seven years of plenty. We're going to have seven years of famine, all right? So here's what I think. Here's what I would do if I were you, Pharaoh. Now, I know I've just been in prison for two years, but if I were king of the world, here's what you should do. You should set it up so in the seven years of plenty, you keep enough that you can make it through the seven years of famine. That's what you should do. And Pharaoh goes, congratulations, you're the king of the world, all right? It makes him the boss of everything. Now, after seven years of plenty, they've gathered so much food from all over the world, their most powerful country in the world. And then after the seven years of plenty, sure enough, on you know, year eight and day one, boom, it all dries up. And for two years, there's been a famine. Not only have they run out of food in Egypt, but now it's starting to spread all the way out where Jacob and his brothers live. Now, last week it took me an hour to do that. I don't know why I could do it so fast today, but that's where we are. So everybody knows who Joseph is, so don't be confused. This isn't Joseph like Christmas Joseph. Uh, we're gonna preach on him next week. This is Coat of Many Colors, Old Testament Joseph. So <clears throat> what happens is Joseph's brothers and are living with Joseph's dad, but they all think he's dead. And the famine hits them, and then one day, his dad, Jacob, wakes up and is like, hey, boys, quit looking at each other and go get us something to eat. I've heard there's food in Egypt. And when you get to, like, chapter 43, right down in there, the brothers show up in Egypt, and they're looking for food. And who's in charge of the food but Joseph? And so his brothers come in and bow down to him, Joseph, because he's the prime minister of Egypt, of all of Egypt, and they bow down to him, and they are begging for food. And Joseph's thinking, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that God is who he says he is, and I knew that God always keeps his promises, and this is the vision that God had given me for my entire life. Now, you got to read chapter 43 and 44 on your own, because for a couple of chapters, Joseph kind of jerks around with them a little bit, like any good brother would, okay? Um, He'll feed them sometimes and be cool to them, and then he kind of locks them up in prison for a couple of days, and then he frames them for a little while, and he he keeps one son and says, y'all go back, and then freaks dad out. But eventually, he does all of that, and the, the boys, his brothers, they think, I mean, again, they don't, know, they don't know that this is their brother. And part of the reason they see him but they don't recognize him, one, is because the last time they saw him, he was 17 years old, and now he's 39 years old. And to every one of you that have been to your 20-year high school reunion, you go, yeah, no problem. That makes total sense, all right? Because your best friend in homeroom, you had to look at the picture next to their name tag and go, oh, wow, right? Okay, that's one. Secondly, he's now the prime minister of Egypt. So he's got like, you know, the Egyptian makeup and a weird haircut and tattoos and earrings. He looks like an 1122 or not like a Hebrew boy anymore. So they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. So again, he kind of messes with them for a little while and he sends them back home, but he keeps one of the brothers. And so the boys go back home and go, hey dad, we got good news. We got bad news. Good news. We got grain. Bad news. We lost one of our kids again. Okay. So now you're down to 10, but you got a lot. So just, you know, deal with it. And then Eventually, they run out of food again. They all come back, and that's where we pick up the events in in Genesis chapter 45. So here's Joseph, kind of king of the world, prime minister of Egypt, and here are his brothers after the famine hit, and they they are bowing down before him, okay? And so as they make their second journey back into Egypt, he has his brothers meet him in his palace, in his home for a big party, all right, for this big feast. And now, you've got to know that the brothers are thinking, we are in so much trouble. Because Joseph had been messing with them and putting cups and goblets and, and money in their bags. And so they think, oh no, maybe this guy that we don't know who he is is going to kill us. But we're going to pick it up in, in chapter 45, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who had stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So he's going to tell his brothers, hey, it's me. Verse 2. Um, and he wept 
he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And in that moment, those brothers thought, oh, no. Right? This is like my worst nightmare ever. Last time we saw you, we, we sold you into slavery. And now you are like the you know, king of the world here. But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. That's the Bible way for however you would say that. All right? Verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. Now think about this. So Joseph looks at his brothers and says, come here, come here. And here's what you've got to understand. You, if you grew up in church, you've got to please, you've got to take all that Sunday school, VBS, um, flannel graph, storyboard of, of this old school story about Joseph, and you've got to throw that away. And you've got to think about, this is a real man that the last time he saw these brothers, he immediately, I mean, as soon as he went eyeball to eyeball and face to face with them, the reason that he's crying is in that minute, he can immediately remember what it smelled like at the bottom of that cistern. All of that pain and all of that doubt and all of that resentment and all of that bitterness had to begin to well back up and think, here are the people in my family that were supposed to take care of me. Because I don't have a Bible verse on this, but I just know it's true. Big brothers are supposed to take care of younger siblings. That's just true. You ask my son, JP, what's your number one job? He says, protect Reagan. We were in line one time for Santa Claus at the town center. You know, they got the little play area. And JP comes up to me looking kind of crazy, like, oh. And there's a kid crying over there. I go, why is that kid crying? He said, he pushed Reagan. I said, well, why is he crying? He goes, because I pushed him. I go, high five, bro. That's just how we do, Okay. And if it was your kid, stay off of my daughter, okay? I got one, somebody looking. And so when people that are supposed to protect you hurt you, it hurts worse. So Joseph, I mean, he can remember what it felt like to look in the eyes of his big brothers who he, who, who he loved and to watch them punch him and rip the clothes off of him and throw him in the bottom of a cistern. And he can remember exactly what it felt like that day when he was handcuffed behind a camel and marched all the way from Dothan all the way to Egypt thinking, oh no, my life is over. My life is over. I'm going to be a slave for the rest of my life. Days, And he can remember what the bottom of the jail felt like when he was falsely accused of rape and sent there. And he had to think in that moment that, hey, if it weren't for my brothers, I would not be here. This is not what I'm meant for. And so, you ever been hurt? You ever been hurt by some family members? You got some people that you got to eat turkey with Thursday and they've stabbed you in the back? Or maybe they're not going to be there at all because the, rec- the, the relationship still has not been reconciled? I'm just telling you, the man that we're reading about, Joseph, he has been through it. He is dealing in this moment. He is dealing with some serious pain from some family members that were supposed to take care of him. This is not a children's story. This is as real as your next breath. And so he says, come here. Come here. Come near to me, please. Now remember, he is the most powerful man, second only to Pharaoh, in the entire world world and they came near and there they are bowing down before him just like God's vision for his life told him they would be and what would you do I mean really now if you if you've been in bible study before you read to the end you know what he's gonna do but what would you do when your brothers or your parents or your children had sinned against you I mean one option is let them starve to death right say hey you're not my brothers anymore 
That day ended when I was 17 years old and you sold me to the Ishmaelites. On that day, we ceased to be brothers. Therefore, I, I'd have got no obligation to take care of you. Good luck, boys. Head on back to Dothan. That's an option, which honestly sounds kind of good, doesn't it? There's another option where you just kill them. Say hello to my little friend. Ta, 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 and you just take them out. That's kind of where I lean. Or you could at least, I think I would at least say, hey, look at me. Look up, look, look. I told y'all. Did I not tell y'all? You want to call me a dreamer? You try to beat me up and put me a sister. And I told you, what's up, chiefs? Bow down now, huh? Bow down to my planet, right? Go get dad. He's going to bow down too. Every one of y'all are bowing down. In fact, new rule in Egypt. Before you eat Frosted Flakes in the morning, everybody's going to meet me here in the palace and bow down. That's what you're going to do. Wouldn't you at least be like, I told you? Here's what he does. So Joseph said, come here. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, just in case you forgot which of the brothers I am. You sold me into Egypt. Because I don't know if you've been in the habit of selling all the rest of us into Egypt, but I'm the one you sold into Egypt. Verse 5, and now. And man, they're thinking, I mean, imagine if you're Judah or one of the brothers, and you're going, oh, man, it's going to hurt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourself because you sold me here. Now, one of the things you've got to grab on to this, if we're going to talk about how to forgive a family member that's hurt you, see, most of the time in church, we talk about what to do if you've sinned. We don't talk a whole lot about what to do when somebody's sinned against you. But one of the things you've got to grab on to here is, is that if you're going to forgive somebody, you've got to actually face the sin that they have committed against you. And some of us, what we try to do in an effort to be like hyper-spiritual, and it's really a false sense of spirituality, is we try to act like what they did against us was not a big deal. And you just got to know, it was a big deal. All throughout the text that we read, um, Joseph's never going to gloss over the fact that his brothers betrayed him and sold him into slavery. He never goes, I don't worry about it, it all worked out in the end. No. No, they transgressed against him. They sinned against him. And the sin that has happened against you, y'all, it is a big deal. It's not something to be overlooked. And some of the reasons that you have not forgiven the people that have sinned against you because you've tried to ignore it as if it didn't actually happen. And here's the craziness. Here's the twist of the enemy. You think you're doing a good job of ignoring it, and you think it's not affecting you. And you're the only one that thinks that. You're the only one close to you that thinks you're doing a good job of it not affecting you. And to everybody close to you, you look ridiculous. You know what you look like? You ever, you ever been with a guy that's um, got like an injury, but he tries to act like it's not an injury? It's typically an older guy, like 40 and up guy that used to be an athlete, and he's not an athlete anymore, but in his mind, he's still an athlete. You ever been with that guy has got a knee problem, and he's walking all funny? You'd be like, bro, what's wrong with you? He's like, nothing. Like, you look ridiculous, because in his mind, he still thinks he plays for the boys, and he's just cruising, but he's not. He looks, he looks broken down and ridiculous, but he won't deal with it. He won't actually go and get it fixed. He just tries to gimp along. And relationally, you're gimping along and you think, I look great, right? And everybody around you goes, no, man. No, the pain is evidence to everybody else. And you can try to ignore it on you all you want. But until you dig in and deal with it, it's never going away. You're just gonna limp along and limp along and limp along until you take it to the great physician and deal with it face to face. You see, part of the way you forgive is you gotta, you gotta figure out who's hurt you and then you gotta figure out what they've taken from you. We'll talk about it in a minute when we get to Matthew 18. And some of you haven't forgiven because you didn't wanna walk back down that road and come face to face with the sin that's been committed against you. Until you deal with it, you'll never be able to cancel that debt. And so, Joseph, he does not gloss over it. He says, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Like, that hurt, that was real, boys. 
the trajectory of my whole life changed because of what you did to me. For God sent me before you. This is big. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. You see, Joseph understands that God did this. Until you come to the place where you can understand that, I, I, I don't know if God is, I don't think God is trying to hurt you, but you've got to understand he allows it. You've got to understand he allows it. <clears throat> and here's what Joseph's saying, that Joseph sent me here for you, that you, what you were trying to do to me was evil, and what almighty sovereign God was doing is he was using your evil acts against me to save you. What if? What if God allowed you to go through the family pain that you're going through right now so that you could forgive the person in your family that hurt you so that you, they could, for the first time, actually see and experience the forgiveness of the gospel? Guess what? In God's economy, he would say, it's worth it. It's worth it for you to suffer the pain that somebody else inflicted upon you so that they could be forgiven by you so that they could experience what forgiveness looks like and they could understand the gospel. And you might say, Pastor, how could you say that? The cross. The cross. That God allowed his own son to suffer and die. Why? For our forgiveness. And God said it was worth it. So maybe, maybe, maybe your forgiveness of the family member that hurt you will be the loudest sermon they've ever heard on the gospel of Jesus Christ and that forgiveness is available for everyone. That's what Joseph believes. That, hey, what you meant for evil, you sent me here because you were trying to kill me. Guess what God was doing? Saving you. And he says, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Verse eight, so it was not you that sent me here, but God. Some of my favorite words in the whole Bible. But God, that he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You see, there's three things, I think, that Joseph understands that allows him to be able to forgive his brothers. The first one is this, is that Joseph understands the sovereignty of God. That Joseph understands that God is in control and he was never out of control, even though Joseph felt like he was probably out of control. That when, that when Joseph was on the auction block in Egypt and when Joseph was in the bottom of the prison in Egypt, God never once was in heaven going, oh no, what are we gonna do? that he was always in charge. And he's in charge of the whole thing. He governs over everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, even sinful, sinful actions against you that God governs over it all. Because if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that, then you believe in an impotent God that really wants your life to be better, but he can't quite pull it off for your behalf. And if you believe that, here's the problem. If you don't believe that God's in charge of everything, then there's no way for you to understand that God could actually use your pain for his purpose. Because if God is almighty and if God is sovereign and God does allow us to experience pain, then only a sovereign God can take the pain that we've experienced. I mean, the deep, deep pain that we can experience and that, he can, and that we can find purpose in it. That an almighty God could actually use the junk that we've been through for his glory. Again, why would I believe that? The cross of Jesus Christ. That God was governing over the worst sin in all eternity, that we killed the almighty perfect son of God. And what looked like in that moment 
what looked like the darkest day in human history actually has become the pinnacle of our salvation. And if it's true for his son, it's true for you that he's in charge. This is what Joseph understood. And if God governs over our pain, then even in our pain, there can be purpose. That a sovereign God would never waste a hurt. It's not like God is just driving around on an ambulance, just trying to keep up with the world, sweeping up all the messes and trying to make the best of them. Joseph understands, "Mm -mm, you thought you were doing this? No, God's in charge of the whole thing. The second thing Joseph understands is this. I think that Joe is, is able to see God's hand in it all because he forgave his brothers. I don't think Joseph could walk in the victory that he's walking in if he spends his whole life choosing to be a victim. And some atrocious things happen to him just like some bad things have happened to you. And you can spend the rest of your life either as a victim or you can walk in the victory purchased for you by the blood of Jesus. And so what Joseph has decided to do, the reason that he can have the position that he has as the prime minister of Egypt and the reason that when he finally does come face to face with his brothers, he can say, I forgive you, is because... is because he has forgiven his brothers. He's decided, I am not going to be a victim here, but I'm going to walk in the victory that God has already claimed for me. Did you know that some of you are being held back by God, held back for God's full potential of your life because you're walking in, in bitterness and resentment instead of the freedom of forgiveness that God wants you to walk in? And every day you walk up and think you're a victim. Every day you wake up and you think, oh, if my life would have only been different. And God's looking at you and saying, that is, not, that is not what I've called you to walk in, all right? You have been set free to walk in victory. And the third thing is this, is that Joe understands that he is a part of a bigger story. That Joe understands that, hey, God does not revolve his plans around my life, but God was actually using me for a much greater purpose, but to save a people. Pastor Brent said it this way a few weeks ago. He said that our lives revolve around his plan. His plan does not revolve around my life. And when you begin to grab onto that, I'm telling you, when you begin to understand that God might use your life for the sake of his glory and your joy, that's when you can walk in the freedom and forgive people, even if they do horrible things to you, because you don't know what hangs in the balance. And I'm going to tell you, Joe had no idea. I don't think he had any idea what hung in the balance as he was standing there over his brothers and he had the right to kill them. And so I think because he understands the sovereignty of God, because he was able to forgive his brothers and to walk into that freedom, because he understands that he's part of a bigger story, he could say, don't be afraid, boys. But God sent me here. And here's something else. So he forgives him. He says, go get dad and and don't tarry. And so they run home, get dad, bring him back. And guess what happens? Because Joseph forgives his brothers, he gets to have a relationship with his dad for the next 17 years. You know, do you know what happens all the time when it comes to people sinning against us and then we, we hold a grudge instead of freely forgiving them? Look, there is collateral damage in unforgiveness. You know that? See, in your family, you think it's just me and you. What you don't understand is the collateral damage all around you. And some of you are going to experience that Thursday, aren't you? Like You go to your family deal for Thanksgiving and you're like, I don't have a problem with anybody. But the guy on that side of the table hates the lady on that end of the table. And, and I like her and I like him, but their hate for each other stinks up everybody's casserole. And you're like, this is awful. It's just true. You've all been there. Well, see, because Joseph forgives his brothers, he gets to have this relationship with his dad that he totally would have missed out on if he had held on to the resentment, not against his dad, but against his brothers. So for the next 17 years, Joseph cares for 
his brothers and his dad, his whole family, they all come to Egypt and he takes care of them and he puts them up in Goshen. And you all know Goshen's like the place to live. I mean, it's gated communities and country club and if you got sheep, you wanna live in Goshen, all right? And he puts them up in Goshen and everything's awesome. And then you go all the way to, uh, to chapter 50 and by this point, Joseph gets married and has some kids. Life is good and then his dad, his dad Jacob gets sick and dies. And then Joseph goes and he buries his dad. And then you know what all the other brothers think? Uh-oh, maybe our brother Joseph was being cool to us just because he loved dad. But now he doesn't have a real reason to continue to be cool with us. And maybe now he's gonna get back at us for what we did to him back when he was 17 years old. So if you pick it up in Genesis chapter 50, verse 14, it says, after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father at 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. You see, that's what unforgiveness is right there. Unforgiveness is you owe me and I'm gonna pay you back. See, we're gonna find out in Matthew chapter 18 that when Jesus teaches about forgiveness, he doesn't talk about feelings, but what he talks about is a debt-debtor relationship. When somebody sins against you, they've created a debt-debtor relationship. They owe you something. They took something from you. They promised you something and they didn't fulfill it. Or they made a vow and they broke it, whatever it is. Or they hurt you and they took something from you. And forgiveness is to say, you don't owe me that anymore. Your debt is canceled. Unforgiveness says, either I'm gonna pay you back or you owe me. And you see the language here that these brothers are using. Maybe Joe's gonna pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your fathers. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And his brothers also came and fell down before him. So here we are again, 17 years later. Here's Joseph in charge of the whole world, and here are his brothers bowing down before him. Now, there's a couple of things here. The brothers say, hey, listen, we transgressed against you. We did evil against you. Again, Joseph's never gonna say, nah, don't worry about it. It wasn't that big a deal. It all worked out. Never. Because I know some of you are thinking, oh, man, you don't know my story. Of course you're gonna say forgive because you're the pastor. You probably just live at the church and sing hymns and pray all the time. You don't have a real life. What else are you gonna tell us? And I know you think, if I could just have the microphone for a minute and get up on stage and tell all these people, hey, listen, this is, this is what he did to me, then we would all go, yeah, oh, man, that's tough. And I'm telling you, it is tough. It is tough. It is not easy to forgive. You know how I know? The cross of Jesus Christ. When God looked upon us, it was not easy to forgive. It was so hard to forgive that he had to send his son to, to take nails in the hands and feet and die on the cross, be beaten, battered, and bruised, and put underground for three days. It's hard to forgive. So I'm not saying what you're going through is easy. It's not. And there's Joseph again standing in front of his brothers. And here's gonna, think, here's gonna be a thing that you're gonna have to do when it comes to forgiveness over and over and over and over and over. You're gonna have to remind yourself over and over and over, I forgive you. I forgive you. Because your feelings will betray you. It's why I tell you I don't care about your feelings. I don't mean that I don't care that you have feelings. At the end of the service, you come up with a lot of feelings and cry, I will feel all feeling-y too, okay? I will be there with you, it happens. But I don't want your feelings to be your God. Your feelings can't tell you whether you've forgiven somebody or not. Forgiving somebody is a decision to cancel the debt. 
Because hasn't this happened to you? You felt like you've rightly dealt with that situation and you've forgiven their debt and you've done all that you're supposed to do. Then one day, you're just minding your business, driving around in the car, and a song from the 80s, Flock of Seagulls, comes on and you're like, God, I hate that lady, right? It just comes back and you're like, oh. Then you're like, well, I thought I forgave her. Look, that's not the Heavenly Father telling you that. That's the enemy whispering in your ear. You know what he's whispering? Forgiveness doesn't really work. Because you know what he wants to convince you? He wants to convince you that if forgiveness on a horizontal level doesn't work, then how in the world could you, how could you believe in forgiveness on a vertical level? You can't even forgive your neighbor. How in the world could God forgive you? That, that's from the enemy. Because it's at the root of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you have those feelings, because I'm, I'm thinking that maybe Joe, as he's standing there with his brothers all kneeling before him once again, says, well, what do I have to lose now? And in one second, I mean, he could just whistle, and the palace guard comes in, and, and like a samurai sword from Walking Dead, just swing, takes all their heads off, and they're done. And he goes, don't have to deal with that anymore. And you're going to have to remind yourself over and over and over, I have chosen to cancel the debt, regardless of what I feel like this day. And so verse 18, his brothers, they come in, and they fall down before him, and they say, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? See, he understood the sovereignty of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Anytime bad things happen to you, I'm telling you, there are, there are two forces at work. There's an enemy that's trying to take you out, and God can even use the evil things that mean people have done to you, and he can use them for your own good. And I know that because of the cross. But God meant it for good to bring about what many people, that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. So he's saying, not only am I gonna cancel your debt, but I'm also gonna care for you. I'm gonna reconcile the relationship. Just like God adopts us into his family, he doesn't just forgive our sin, but he cares for us and adopts us in as children. That's what Joseph's doing here. I'm gonna take care of you, and not just you, but I'm gonna take care of your little ones. And listen to me, Joseph has no idea what hangs in the balance. There's no way he can understand that because of this decision to forgive his brothers, his brothers are gonna become the 12 tribes that, that become a slave nation in Egypt. Then Moses is going to show up, get those people out, take them almost to the promised land. Joshua's going to take them into the promised land. Those people that come from these brothers are going to become the nation of Israel. And out of the nation of Israel is going to come one Messiah, one Savior. His name is Jesus. He's going to die on the cross for your sins and mine. He's going to resurrect on the third day. And then he's going to say, go and make disciples. And he's going to start this movement called the church. And the reason that we gather here this morning can be traced all the way back to Joseph making this decision right here. Do you think there's a legacy? The decisions that we make echo all throughout eternity. It matters. It matters. And so, and then, <laughs> this, this is really, I wish it had just stopped right there and I felt better, but then the Bible's got to just get all meddly in your life, ready? Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Guess what? <laughs> Man, your mouth will betray you, won't it? I mean, you tell everybody, no, I forgave him. But he did awful things to you, I know, but I forgave him. You want to know if you really forgave him? Watch the way you talk about him. Watch the way you talk about him. So for the rest of the days, Joseph speaks kindly to them. You know what Jesus said about your mouth? He said, you don't have a mouth problem, you got a heart problem. Jesus said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You know what that means? Nothing slips. Nothing slips. It just reveals what's actually in here. It's just true. And so some of you are like, yeah, I forgave her, but she ain't coming to my house for Thanksgiving. Or I forgave him and watch me unfriend him from Facebook. Ha ha, take that, right? You know what that means? 
I mean, something's going on in here. Like, if I were to take this water bottle and shake it up, guess what comes out? It's not a trick question, people, all right? <laughs> Some of you are like, Jesus, Jesus? I think it's Jesus. I want to say water, but we talk about Jesus a lot. I'm going with Jesus, all right? No, it's water. You know why? Because there's water in here. So whatever, whatever's in here is going to come out when you shake it up. If I shake you, guess what comes out? What's in here? And so if I shake you and there's unforgiveness in there, it comes out of your mouth. It will betray you. Betray you. Now, <clears throat> of course. So here's what you're supposed to do. Forgive. Now here's the pushback. I get it. I understand. I know some of you are thinking, well, okay, I can't. I mean, I know Joseph did, all right? But, I, but I'm, I'm not the man Joseph is, okay? They're not writing Bible stories about my faith, I promise. I'm kind of shocked to be here this morning. So I don't think I can do what this man did. And what I've got to get you to understand is Joseph was a man just like you. Joseph was a human being just like you. He's not better than you. He didn't have this superpower of forgiveness, you know, big F on his chest with a cape in the wind. I forgive you. No. Man, he's struggling just like the rest of it. So how in the world was Joseph able to forgive people that have done some awful things to him? And again, I know some awful things may have happened to you. But being beaten and sold into slavery by your brothers, that's up there. And yet he can stand before them and cancel the debt. So one of the things I've really liked about this series, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but you know, we've been in the book of Genesis since Labor Day. And what I've been trying to do is not cover every single verse in the book of Genesis because sometimes we kind of get lost in the details. And Bible nerds like me really like to dig down into the very details and, and talk about the Hebrew words. And, uh, and me and Pastor Stone are the only two that get into it when I do that. But what I want you to be able to do is back up from the book of Genesis and try to understand like the whole thing. And so in this sovereign legacy, remember we talked about Abraham and he's the father of faith. And God made him a promise and he believed in God and God accredited to him his faith as righteousness. And then remember, he had, he had a couple of sons, or he had one son, he had Isaac, his only begotten son. And so he took Isaac up on the mountain to sacrifice him because God was testing him. And the point of that is not that God wants to take away what, what's most important to you, but God wants to give what's most important to him for you. And then you remember Isaac had two sons. He had one son named Esau, the hairy one. He was big and tough and burly and a hunter, good with a bow. And he had another son named Jacob. And Jacob was, was young and he was a cook and he was a mama's boy and he was, you know, and, and he was kind of wimpy. And he was a deceitful one. He was the deceiver. And if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 33, you'll remember we did this a few weeks ago, that Esau and Jacob were brothers. And Esau, the older brother, was supposed to get the birthright from his father. But Jacob, the younger brother, he stole the two most important things from his older brother. He stole his birthright and he stole his father's blessing. Well, Jacob is actually Joseph's dad, all right? And so you'll remember that after Jacob stole the blessing from his, from his brother Esau, remember he dressed up like Esau and put goat hair on him because Esau means hairy and he went out all hairy and he's like, dad, it's really me. And he, and he steals the father's blessing and then as soon as he does, he realizes Esau, the real Esau, is big and buff and good with a bow, and he's going to kill him. And so he has to run for his life. And then Esau comes in, and his dad, his dad tells him, hey, listen, uh, I've already given out the blessing. Your younger brother stole the blessing that you were supposed to receive. And the Bible says then that Esau despised his birthright and made a vow to kill his younger brother, Jacob. And then Jacob's mom said, hey, you might want to run for it. And so then Jacob goes to a foreign land and starts working for a family member of his. And he marries two girls that are both sisters. So he's not a good decision maker, okay? And so he's out there for about almost 22 years. That's where he is. 
And so while he's on the run, and he's on the run because he's afraid of his brother Esau, okay? He's afraid of his brother Esau because he's big and he's tough and he's going to kill him. But after over 20 years, he, he, he actually, his clan grows so big and his wealth grows so big that essentially the, his family members come to him and say, hey, the town's not big enough for both of us. You've got to leave. And then one night in a dream, God says, you've got to go back to your hometown and I will be with you. To which Jacob's like, well, you better be with me because my big, bad, hairy brother is going to be back in town and I'm going to need help because he wants to kill me. And so that's where we pick it up in, in chapter 33 of Genesis. You've got to back up a few pages, okay? And here's what happens. And on, on Jacob's way home, he's going to bump into his brother Esau. And because he knew he was going to bump into him, he thought, all right, what I'll try to do is I'll try to buy his forgiveness. So he gets this, um, like, payment ready. Because he knows that he's taken from him, he's stolen from him, and so he's going to try to buy his brother's forgiveness, and he thinks his brother's probably going to kill him, but just in case, just in case, he's going to try to pay him back for some of the stuff that he took from him. So you pick it up in Genesis 33, verse 1, check this out. And Jacob, this is on his way back home, and Jacob lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, Esau was coming. Now, if this is a movie, this is where the music changes, dun, 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 Right? And 400 men with him. Now, this isn't like a bachelor party, okay? These are like trained. This is a small army that Esau has. So here comes Jacob, and up on the mountain is this big old Esau, just hairy and buff and good with a bow, and 400 men on horses with swords. And so here's what Jacob did. Jacob divides up his children among Leah, that's his first wife, and Rachel, that's his favorite wife, and the two female servants. He was sleeping with them too, okay? So that you imagine that little road trip was a delight. I mean, you think your Thanksgiving's weird. Think about theirs, okay? It was like, I ain't sitting with her. So, <clears throat> so he divides up the children between their mamas. Verse two, and he put the servants with their children in front and then Leah with her children and Rachel and, what's that name? Joseph. That's the dude we're talking about. Got it? But this is all the way back in chapter 33. Little Joseph. This is not when he's grown and he's 17. This is when he's a little boy. And I don't know exactly how old he is. I'm sure some of you can figure out. Pastor Rhinestone probably knows, but I don't. So I'm just going to call him nine because my son turned nine today, so I'm going with nine, okay? And so imagine what little Joseph, nine-year-old Joseph's thinking. He's in this caravan with his family, and he's walking along, and then he hears somebody say, oh, no, there's Uncle Esau. And little Joseph at nine years old goes, I've heard stories about Uncle Esau. Isn't that the big, hairy, tough one that's good with the bow? Uh-huh. Didn't dad steal from him his birthright and the father's blessing? He did. And haven't I heard that Uncle Esau, if you ever saw our dad, he was going to kill him? Yep, that's the same one. And you got to think that little Joseph in that moment is going, what are all those men doing? 400 men with him. This isn't going to be good, Joseph. And he sees that. And he sees his uncle Esau. And Joseph is the only kid. There's 12 of them. He's the only kid listed by name. And so it goes on to say, verse 3, and he himself, that's Jacob, the dad, he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And there's Esau standing over Jacob, the deceitful one who had stolen his birthright and the father's blessing. And then next to Jacob is all of his family. And the only one mentioned by name is Joseph. He's there too. And imagine what Joseph's thinking. Joseph's thinking as his nine-year-old little boy, oh no, oh no, I think we're about to die. Oh no, 
unless my uncle, for whatever reasons, decides to be gracious and merciful, we're dead. Because if he decides to be just and right, which he is, then we got no chance. I mean, because the worst part is, I think my dad was wrong. I think my dad actually did something to deserve whatever Uncle Esau wants to lay out on him. Oh, no, this is the way this thing is going down. And he's not going to take care of us. Once he wipes out Daddy, he's taking out all the rest of us. And then look at verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob, that's his brother, ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and he saw the women and the children and he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously, graciously given your servant. And then the servants drew near and they and their children and bowed down. And Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And who is this? And last, Joseph. And Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And at that moment in history, Joseph experienced forgiveness. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in your sight, my Lord. Verse 9, but Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. In other words, Esau says, you don't owe me anything. I cancel the debt. And so what if, listen, I'm making this connection, okay? Nowhere in Genesis chapter 50 does it connect the dots. But what if, what if that day in Genesis chapter 50 when Joseph is standing there over his brothers and they beat him and they bruised him and they sold him into slavery and he's standing over them and he could rightfully take them down. He could rightfully kill every single one of them. And in that moment, all he could think of is, I've seen this scene before. I've seen this before, except the last time I was kneeling down and I was next to my dad and he was condemned and he was guilty. But my uncle Esau, for whatever reason, he extended grace and he extended mercy and he forgave my dad. And if he didn't forgive my dad back when I was nine years old, now that I'm 39 years old, I would not be in the place that I am. And so what if he's standing there and he can remember that moment and therefore, because he had been forgiven much, he looks at his brothers and he says, the debt is canceled. The debt is canceled. Not because I'm awesome, but because someone canceled our debt a long time ago. You see, the point is this, is that those who have experienced the freedom of being forgiven freely extend forgiveness. That's just true. If you've experienced the freedom of being forgiven, like I owe you something, and then you get freely forgiven. Your debt is canceled. It's those kind of people that freely extend forgiveness to other people. So here's the million dollar question, especially leading into Thanksgiving. So who do you need to forgive? I mean, who do you need to forgive? As soon as we started this message, you thought, oh no, because that person's name and face, they popped into your head. I mean, is it your dad? Because he abandoned you? Is it your dad because he abused you? I mean, he told you some things about you that you just cannot erase in your mind. Every time you look at yourself in the mirror, all you can do is hear your dad saying that you're not good enough and you were supposed to grow up in a home where he told you you were fearfully and wonderfully made. And your whole life, you've just been trying to please him and you can't. Now he's even dead and you can't. You're like, what do I do? I'm broken forever. Or maybe he abused you. Or is it your mom? Do you forgive, need to forgive your mom? Because she's so emotionally manipulative and still is and passive aggressive and she's just wearing you out for Thanksgiving. Or maybe, maybe you can't stand her because she knew your dad was abusing you and she protected him. Or maybe even more, maybe it's your kids. 
I mean, you did whatever it took to try to raise those babies of yours. And now they grew up into adults, and they don't want to have anything to do with you. And you're thinking, what the heck happened? I mean, when I took you home from the hospital, I thought I would give my life for you. And now they won't even sit with you at Thanksgiving dinner. You think, what did I do? You need to forgive them? Or maybe you invested so much into them. I mean, you, you paved this way. All they had to do was walk it, and they betrayed you. They betrayed you. They blame you for every problem, and it's their own bad decisions. And they're manipulating the grandchildren just to hurt you. You need to forgive them? Maybe it's a brother or sister, or maybe it's a girlfriend or a boyfriend that is as close as a brother or sister, and you were so tight, and then one day you found out what she was saying about you. And you thought, all right, it's over. You'll never be my friend again. You need to forgive them? Maybe it's an ex-husband, because he promised for better or worse and then the, next, the first time something that he thought was better came by, he was out. And you thought, you promised. And maybe it's an ex-wife. Because the last few years of your marriage, your marriage was awful. But man, you sure did love being a dad. And you feel like she stole your kids from you. You don't even get to tuck them in. Now some other guy's got to tuck them in every night. And it kills you. Here's the crazy thing. If you're holding on to that, if you're holding on to that and you're saying, nope, I'm not forgiving them, you still think it's all about you. Let me just tell you one thing. Do you know somebody's watching you? Do you know somebody's watching you? Do you know if you've got kids, they are watching how you treat other people just like Joseph was watching what his uncle Esau did? Do you get that? Do you realize that your grandchildren will be affected by the way you forgive or withhold forgiveness by the way your children raise their children? That it's a sovereign legacy. Because here's the truth. I mean, this is just true. That forgiven people forgive people. That's right. That forgiven people forgive people. And I'm not saying there's, that it wasn't awful. There's some awful things that have happened to you. Yeah, it was sinful. It was so bad that Jesus had to die on the cross to forgive those people. I get it. But you get to decide what kind of legacy you leave. Did you know based on what you do with forgiveness, whether you extend it or withhold it, you will either leave a legacy of mercy and grace or forgiveness or you will leave a legacy of unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. It's up to you. And again, I'm not saying it's easy. No, the cross was not easy. But the truth is, is forgiven people forgive people. Another way to say it is this. If you ain't given it, maybe you ain't got it. And I know that's bad English, but that's good theology. You get it? That if you've stood at the cross of Jesus and received the gift of forgiveness from him, then you forgive other people. Why? Because they deserve it? No, because I didn't deserve to be saved either, forgiven. Well, don't they have to ask for it? Did you come to God asking first, or did he first love us by sending his son to die on the cross? You see? You see, do you know that if you're a Christian, I got bad, if you're not a Christian, I got really bad news. I don't know how you forgive. I really don't. I think it'll be better for you. Good luck. Sorry, I could come back next week. It'll be about Christmas. It'll be awesome, okay? But this week, if you don't first surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ and receive the eternal forgiveness for all the sin that we've done against God, I don't know how you forgive the horizontal sin of the people against you. But when you experience that forgiveness, you've got to know this, that no matter how bad it was, no matter how bad the words are, the abuse was, the molestation was, no matter how bad it was horizontally, it pairs in comparison to all of our sin heaped upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And every single one of us that call ourselves Christian, if you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, guess what happened? There was a day, there was a day like the brothers of Joseph, and there was a day like Joseph when he bowed down before Esau. There was a day when you and I bowed before the almighty King of Kings, the sovereign King of the universe. 
and we were in glad rebellion against him. We were king of our own life. We committed treason against the king of the universe. We had spit in the face of an almighty God, and he looked at me, and he looked at you, and he said, you don't owe me anything. I'll pay your debt. And he sent Jesus Christ to the cross, and the first thing Jesus says is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the last thing he says is, it is finished. You know what's finished? Our debt payment, done. And if you've received that, then you freely give that. See, Peter, in the New Testament, Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus and he's like, hey, Jesus, how many times I gotta forgive people? I mean, like a buck, seven? And then Jesus, in classic Jesus, he's like, all right, let me tell you a story. And Peter's like, I don't want a story, I want a number. That's why I told you how many, and the answer should be a number. Is it seven or 77 or 490, what is it? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. It's like this. There was this guy, it's called the parable of the unmerciful servant. There was this guy, and he owed his master $3 trillion. And the master forgave the servant $3 trillion. Because the servant's like, hey, I can't pay it off. Please be merciful. And he's like, okay, in my mercy, I forgive you of it all. Cancel your debt. And then that unmerciful servant goes out to the street, and he bumps into this guy that owes him $12,000. And the guy that owes him 12000 says the same thing that he said to the master. He says, hey, I can't pay you back, but please be merciful and forgive me. And that unmerciful servant looks at him and says, no way, and chokes him out and then says, you're going to prison until you pay it back. And everybody else watching is astounded and said, how in the world could you do that? The master just forgave you of everything and you can't forgive him of just a little bit? I don't think you understand what forgiveness is. And then here's how Jesus wraps it up in Matthew 18, 33 and 35. He said, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And that's the end of the parable. And then Jesus gives the action step in 35. He says, so also, this is a scary verse. So also, my father, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And what Jesus is not saying is, if you forgive people, then you earn forgiveness. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, if you have been forgiven by the death and resurrection of Jesus, then you offer forgiveness because you have been forgiven. So forgiving people, forgive people. Not because it's easy. The cross wasn't easy. Not because they asked for it. We didn't come seeking after God. He came seeking after us. Not because they deserve it, because we didn't deserve it. But just like Joseph when he's standing over his brothers, I think he's thinking, thank God for Uncle Esau and the forgiveness that he doled out on my dad so that I could stand here today. And because I've seen that sovereign legacy, boys, you are forgiven. So who do you need to forgive? I am not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying if you're a Christian, if you surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, forgiven people, forgive people. And so what you do is you identify who hurt you. You face the pain You make a debt ledger. You write down, here's what they took from me. They promised this. They didn't come through. They hurt me here. And then you have a debt ledger in your hand. This is what they owe you. And then you can either choose bitterness and you hold on to it forever, or you can choose to forgive and walk in the freedom that he's purchased for you. I hope by the power of the Holy Spirit this week, you'll do that. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for Uncle Esau. I thank you for mercy and grace. Thank you for mercy and grace when we don't deserve it. God, every single one of us that have surrendered to you have come to that place where we stood condemned before you and yet you looked at us and said you were not condemned. And God, that you are just, that, you, that all sin must be paid for, but you're also the justifier and you paid for it. Lord, I thank you for the but God verses, but God, rich in mercy, paid for our sin. 
Lord, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the love of the Heavenly Father, we would be so moved by the message of the gospel that we would walk out of this place and forgiven people would forgive people. But God, we cannot do it on our own. Because Lord, there has been some serious hurt. God, there has been abuse and rape and molestation and, and words that have just torn down. God, there has been adultery and cheating and lies and punches and slander that hurt so bad. So God, we're not praying for easy. Lord, you never said being a Christian was easy. But Lord, we pray we would just be so full of the spirit of your son who said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, who said it is finished. And because he paid the full price, God, we can offer forgiveness because we've been forgiven. Holy Spirit, I pray that people would be brave enough to do work in here this morning. They would do the grace-driven work that you've called us to do in forgiving one another. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. And let me warn you, there's some of you right now and you're just all stirred up and you're thinking, if I don't get to my car in 30 seconds, my head's gonna blow up, okay? Listen, do not run east, you run west, okay? Do not run to the parking lot on the last song. If the Holy Spirit is stirring in you and convicting you, I can't convict anybody. Then you run down here to the altar because you're going to need his help this week. You're going to need his help as you respond to the gospel by forgiving people because you have been forgiven. So let us respond.